0: This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is designed as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsors nor guests are rendering any professional or medical advice. The opinions and claims presented by the guests are their own. Any trademarks used are the property of their respective owners. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson.
1: Welcome back, friends and colleagues, to our podcast, The Patients Speak, where we're combining the business and science innovation of healthcare with the patient voice to learn how we can accelerate the patient's journey from diagnosis to wellness. And today we have a guest who really brings the, both of those perspectives to bear, both as a doctor of physical therapy and a Yale MBA and also consulting with healthcare groups about how they can address barriers to care and use analytics to overcome some health inequities that we're facing. My guest is Irvashi Bhatnagar. Irvashi, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
1: Yes. And Urvashi is also the co-author of a great new book called The Sustainability Scorecard, How to Implement and Profit from Unexpected Solutions. Urvashi, maybe we'll start with just the basic idea of your focus on sustainability combined with patient care. It's an interesting overlap. And so maybe you could start with your thoughts on how sustainability really does impact patient outcomes.
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent. There's an age old saying, if you don't track it, you can't measure it. And I say, if you can't, if you're not measuring it, you never intend to change it. And one of the biggest things that we see with sustainability that is least talked about in mainstream conversation, especially in health systems with providers is the impact of climate change on human health. Now there's a lot of published data on uh particulate matter and pollution and various other man-made inputs into the environment that affect human health and wellness. And all of these are factors that are funding and furthering climate change effects. So essentially what's happening is that climate change is causing real health impacts that is sending our patients to the ER every single day. And we come back with diagnosis of asthma and what have you, cancer in some cases, and at the end of the day, it is because of what we are exposed to in our natural environment. So I like to say that every firm is a healthcare firm. Every firm in our economy has externalities that eventually, at the end of the day, affect consumers and the people that work in these organizations' health and wellness. And so when you look at impact, when firms measure impact, We need to work and move firmly to a world where we are using the triple bottom line most effectively and saying, we measure our impact on our financial profits, but we also look at the social, the human health and wellness, and the environmental, because they are all interconnected and we can't uncouple them.
1: And oftentimes we talk about the consumer using their voice to vote on which companies they wanted to deal with whether that be as a consumer and buying their packaged goods or what services what have you or investing in those companies or and then the third way would be what companies do I want to work with so drilling down on the patient's voice or the patient as a consumer how do you feel they can vote on their health
2: I see it today now more than we did before, but thankfully due to social media and there are many, many impacts of social media. But one of the biggest is that consumers have never had as big a voice as they did, do today and now. And so we all have the same platform to spread awareness, to talk about what we want to see in our goods and processes in the economy, but especially as it relates to patients. Now, when you think about going to your doctor or you're thinking about even clinical trials, the whole spectrum, every care provider along the way is a great person to discuss your exposure with. And the more providers start hearing that, the more they're going to pressure their organizations and take leadership roles in their organizations to say, why aren't we tracking publicly available data on groundwater and the risk that is posed to our patients due to leaching or whatever there may be a high concentration of in that zip code or that area? Or is there a high degree of particulate matter? Why do we such a high, see such a high mortality rate of a certain disease in a certain area? Patients play a very big role in advocating for themselves, but also in representing their communities and asking important questions of their providers, because that, providers. And I had an article come out recently with just an incredible physician leader. His name is Dr. Jeff Thompson, who was the ex-CEO of Gunderson Health Systems. And he wrote a wonderful book called Lead True. And he talks about how physicians are the right people to take a leading voice in climate change, because we are driven by an inherent desire to serve. And so If I know or if the community knows that a certain externality exists and it's affecting all of our patients, we have taken the oath to uncover, investigate, and then develop a solution around it. And so the first step starts with patients advocating for themselves, also providers listening, providers paying attention, investigating, and then taking a leading role in developing solutions.
1: So interesting. So provocative, really, to think about it in these terms. And one of your areas of focus is really advancing health equity. And often we think of inequities in terms of maybe race or gender. But you're also looking at advancing outcomes among underserved communities. And that might be inner city or urban areas, but it also might be rural communities that don't have access to care. How do you see the challenges there and what sort of things are helping to overcome those inequities?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of work being done and I see a lot of market shifts where I see more retail players getting into healthcare and digital health firms getting into healthcare. And I am in favor of that. It plays a very big role in improving access and delivery of care and making the right care available at the right time to patients. So I think that's one thing that's really going to improve access to communities care. But the second is, I think what the, what we really need to do when you think about retail and you think about healthcare, these are firms, for example, Walmart or anyone, any large behemoth like that, they are data centers. America shops there. When you combine those data sets, when you combine the consumer data set with an EMR and a claims data set, you develop a really great member 360 view. That is a 360 degree view of your one patient. And that's the type of level of detail that I'm encouraging firms to go towards, where when you have consumer data and you can back it up with other social determiners of health and environmental determiners of health, you understand their purchasing behavior, their primary diagnosis and their comorbidities, you can really start developing a really robust action plan for their overall wellness. That is, I think, the manner in which wellness needs to be addressed for underserved communities whether that is in our city whether that is in more rural areas i think digital is definitely going to be the way that telehealth and remote monitoring are all extremely important tools to help that patient engagement with their providers firms can take a leading role in helping bringing data sets together to help providers investigate and develop solutions
1: in this podcast we've often talked about listening to the patient voice like we really need to hear what the patient is saying. And so maybe give us an example of how you could use this 360 model you've described as a listening, not just a data set, but tell the story of the patient.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not able to divulge client names or organization names. Yeah, but before the vaccine was out at the start of COVID, I did some colleagues of mine in a large team did some fantastic work around uncovering what are some of the biomarkers and what are some of the activities that, um, that are predisposing people to some of the worst effects of COVID-19. And we started uncovering hypertension and obesity and some of these factors that 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 were affecting patient wellness. We started uncovering that very early on and so when a patient went to their doctor and said hey i know i'm on asthma medication i think i've been having increased shortness of breath now from a provider from a payer standpoint that is an insurance firm we see very large data sets we can't get down to One person. But what we were able to do was to start reaching out to providers and saying, we've noticed through our investigation that these certain population sets and people with this risk profile, with these certain biomarkers, are predisposed to some of the worst effects of COVID-19. And so we suggest either quarantining them and monitoring them or things like that. Of course, we don't prescribe care, but those are the sort of actions that we started taking early on and working directly with providers.
1: So interesting. Actually, I'm always interested in your in the guest' personal backgrounds. And as I mentioned at the outset, your combination of an MBA from an Ivy League school with a doctorate of physical therapy how do those two things and those two approaches to listening how does that inform your work that you have this clinical background and maybe this more analytical background
2: oh thank you for asking so i i like to say that it's the combination of having a zoomed in and a zoomed out view <laughs> i'm i love patient care and and that's exactly why i got into physical therapy when i started my career so i loved the patient bedside manner. I loved listening to individual stories and uncovering how certain diseases came to be the pathology, how we can solve for it and how we can develop coping mechanisms for them and improve their functional abilities. That was definitely a passion of mine it involves a lot of active listening, a lot of staying quiet and listening more and then developing solutions with your patient one on one. As I grew in my career, I realized that I wanted to expand that impact. And so being able to exponentially magnify that, I started looking for trends and trying to understand which population subsets within my own clinic were presenting similar comorbidities. For example, I started noticing that I had a lot of neck neck pain patients, and whether their diagnosis was a herniated disc or whiplash or whatever it is that was born out of a car accident, many of them also presented with Dizziness, and they were also perhaps in an older age group. And so, when I started investigating that further, I understood they could have been predisposed to P- BD, which is a vestibular neurological disorder which affects your balance. And so, we start. We actually started a whole neurology offering, and we and I actually during my doctorate did a whole study on this disease. Um, so it's substantially led to a lot of investigative work, not only in my career, but with others to holistically address neck pain, whatever the cause and associated balance difficulties that patients may not initially report but we started seeing them or we started as we spoke with our patients further we put that together that oh that this neck pain is associated with you're also complaining about this you didn't tell me this in visit 1 but now that we are more familiar with each other you're telling me about this in visit 3 or 5 and i see a trend here going back to your original question it's i see myself doing now um almost exactly what i was doing before just with larger data sets and having a greater impact because I'm able to zoom in and zoom out and understand within each subset what may be the presenting factors and what are some of the strategies that will be most effective on the ground at the front line and which ones may not be. And and that's why I say that we need, we absolutely need more providers at the business level, at the leadership level, whether they are in payer organizations or provider organizations, absolutely no one can replicate the what we learn from active listening and collaborating with our patient counterparts. And and so when you have consultants and other very well-meaning individuals developing solutions, I firmly advocate that we always need a leadership role with a provider to ensure that we are implementing the best strategy that will work on the ground, as opposed to one that people think will probably work, but because they have never worked in that situation, they have no way to confirm.
1: Yeah, no way.
0: We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83 Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83 Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes. Find client success stories and market reports along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83bar.com.
1: And so we've been talking about providers and maybe healthcare organizations, industry leaders of all kinds, and even these large retail settings. But I also talk with a lot of patient advocacy groups on this program, and I was wondering, let's brainstorm a little bit, how does that kind of organization get access of the kind of analytics and data that you're describing, because it's not always the the size and scope of these patient advocacies doesn't always allow the same kind of rigor or exploration. So I thought we'd brainstorm, how could they get access to this?
2: I'm so glad we're talking about this. Challenges exist on both ends. For- advocacy groups, but also for whether it is a non-profit hospital or whether it is a for-profit payer organization, data interoperability is a huge issue. And being able to combine data sets, combine fields such that we have a holistic picture of the patient and we're able to track patients as they maybe move from one provider to another or one geography to another is a huge industry challenge. As it relates to advocacy groups, I would say that there is a, there's a great leverage that they have in owning the social determiners and environmental determiners data sets. And they have that in the form of patient stories that are verbal, that are documented. The more that we can work, for example, with the recent ruling with CMS to work more for nutrition, we we need more partnership with different parts of the organization. We need to move beyond Nutrition and dietics to, to really get a 360 degree view of our patient. But I think that's a very, very powerful first step. There are too many examples of mishaps and adverse events that could have been prevented had the patient had better wellness. It may not have been a true diagnosis. Lack of nutrition, lack of access to the right provider have led to many a medical mishap and error. And the recent work that CMS is doing on the nutrition side is going to be a really robust use case that can then hopefully be cascaded onto other departments and service lines.
1: Wonderful. It's a good call to action for advocacy groups to realize they have more leverage than they think, perhaps.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Very good. Listeners, my guest has been Urvashi Bhatnagar, a MBA and doctorate in physical therapy and author of a great book called The Sustainability Scorecard. Looking ahead, Urvashi, how do you see us continuing to improve access? Yeah, there's so many great R&D developments and great innovations coming in healthcare, But if you can't get them, or if you can't afford them, or if you can't get your way through the system to even access them. So where do you see the future? Where can we improve?
2: Yeah, I am a huge fan of public-private partnerships. So if there could be an innovative partnership, for example, between an advocacy group, and a provider and a retail system. For example, three groups of industry players that one may never put together in the same ecosystem. those are the kind of strange bedfellow partnerships that we need. There was a great paper that came out of the Yale School of Management, I want to say in 2021, that talked about providing vaccinations through through convenience stores. I was about to say Rite Aid, but I realized that wasn't it. but through convenience stores and to contextualize it by location. And so if you have a greater dominance of a certain language, for example, if you have greater Span- greater Spanish-speaking a population in a certain zip code, to target perhaps grocery stores in those areas and deliver vaccinations through, through a retail mechanism there or otherwise. So I would encourage industry players to think more broadly about partnerships and how, uh, access can be provided. I think a great example is Walgreens and Village MD and that partnership. And, and I think there's a lot more that can be done by players that are work looking to partner in such a manner. And that certainly needs to be expanded to the clinical research side, because as we get to the underserved population and... Um, and the population that is most affected by the climate change impacts, those are the people that we want in our clinical trials to truly understand and investigate what's going on and then develop the right solutions for it. I think going out to those areas and recruiting patients to take part and also then develop holistic solutions will be really important through these public-private partnerships.
1: Very encouraging and still so unconventional in its thinking and approach. So, thanks for the suggestion. I'm Absolutely. sure our listeners will take advantage of that. Listeners, my guest is Urvashi Bhatnagar. Her book is Sustainability Scorecard. I'll have all the links and connections to Urvashi in the show notes. Irvashi, just can't thank you enough for the great conversation. I really appreciate your insights.
2: Thank you so much. Great to be here.
1: And listeners, come back again next time. We'll continue these conversations with healthcare leaders from a variety of different settings as we continue to explore what we need to hear when the patients speak. For now, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with Mark Stenson, presented by 83 Bar, supporting well-informed, confident, and decision-ready healthcare consumers. Learn more about their patient activation platform at 83bar.com. You can listen to our show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for unlocking your world of creativity on your favorite podcast app.